Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of one of you games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, Jess. I am Craig Campbell. I own Nerdburger Games, and I also design and publish role-playing games. And uh, we have a brand new person, Jess. Brand new. New blood. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not new to all of the, the, the listeners. Maybe uh, you've heard of this person, but uh, uh, Viditia, hello. Welcome. Hi there. Hi, everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, my name is uh, Viditia Valetti. Uh, I am an interactive artist and game designer. Uh, I'm like a I primarily work, you know, in tabletop games, role playing games as a writer, designer, and also like consultant uh, for design stuff. Uh, and also I'm like an educator for um, teaching game design too. That's awesome. I am a fan of educators as one myself. <laughs> I love talking about teaching. Maybe oh, you should come back on and talk about teaching with me. I need, I need more new teachers to talk about. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm pretty new to the educating world uh, in terms of like, this is my first year really kind of working in the education space. Um, but I've been doing it, I guess, on like, you know, bits and, pieces here and it's now become like more staple a part of like kind of the things I do who do you do that with like do you have a specific student body uh well so like uh, a lot of my teaching currently has been with uh the museum of the moving image I'm based in Brooklyn New York uh and the museum of the moving image is up in Queens and they're a really great uh museum and so I've been working with their education department doing a bunch of uh stuff because they have a whole like games thing is a part of their thing so it's like cool I did after school programs I did uh summer camps I did a bunch of these things for them uh and taught games to like middle schoolers and high schoolers that's kind of what my demographic is do you know Sharon Biswas I do know Sharon yeah there you go also a guest on the show Uh, every so often yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Sharon was uh introduced me to them and um was like, I think you would do really great here. So it was very nice. <laughs> I thought that was the same. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Well, you know what? Education is like sort of like exploration, right, Craig? Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. What, what a smooth segue. Uh, yeah. The uh, first topic up today, talking from the GMing perspective, is um, exploration in uh, GMing exploration. In particular, um, just kind of uh, generally talking exploration, but then also like what, when, you know, what to do, uh, tips and ideas for handling sessions that are heavily or even all exploration where you might not be having the, uh, like the confrontational moments or the combats or like, uh, uh, you know, exploration is typically not tied to a climax of a story. It's usually something that kind of helps you get there. Um, mm-hmm. although it can, it can serve a lot of purposes. So I thought we would walk our way, th- walk our way through, uh, exploration ourselves and just like different ways as a GM that we can make um, that sort of thing, interesting and evocative for the players. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So Viditia, what is your experience running exploration focused sessions or games? So um, a lot of uh, like, I'm a pretty nervous GM is kind of the best way I can put it is, is <laughs> where I'm going to give like a, uh, a qualifier here. I'm a nervous GM. I'm also like a very hands-off GM. So like I, 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 run things almost GMless, you know what I mean? I'm like a facilitator of a thing. So it's a lot of like talking to players and being like, what do you want to do? What's going on? And so like, that's where I like exploration because it lets me kind of turn the table into almost like a world building thing. It's like a whole like, Hey, like, okay, where do you want to go? Like, what do you want to see? Um, or like kind of just set, like my job is setting up set pieces and being like, okay, let's follow this trail. Let's see where it's going. Uh, and those have always been a lot of fun because it turns into, um, like, I don't know, it, it, there's, it's either like we get really into the world that we've made, uh, and like players kind of break character and we're just kind of riffing and being like, oh, this looks, this is like really cool. I love the set piece. Like, and then, you know, it's a lot of asking questions about like, oh, like, you know, what does your character notice first or something like that? Um. I guess there's also like a little bit about like what is exploration um, specifically. So it's like, uh, you know, is it diving into the wilderness kind of exploration or is it just like 
kind of downtime in a city and you're trying to like get your feet like you know like get to know the the people around you and like uh hey we're gonna be here for a little bit let's like explore the town let's explore the city um and so those also have like slightly different feels to it uh and I run kind of those a little differently also yeah I can imagine that they'd have to be run differently in a city you're much more likely to encounter you know other people to talk to other characters (laughs) whereas like if you were just out in the wilderness I mean maybe you'll run into some people maybe you won't want to run into some people (laughs) Uh but I can definitely like I I can empathize with the nervous GM like you don't want to mess up for me Mm-hmm. what especially when I was a new GM like I didn't want to mess up the social interactions I didn't want to say anything silly I didn't want to <laughs> like I didn't want to make a fool of myself when I was uh, talking with the players in character so I loved the exploration settings where they're just like messing with traps like I don't need to like do a silly voice for a trap I don't oh, need yeah. to I don't need to do any of that I could just like give them something cool to look at if I were a new GM I would be terrified of doing the city exploration because you know what they're gonna do they're gonna ask What's that yeah. guy's name? <laughs> what's that? Again, my biggest, I love this so much. It's just like, what's that guy's name? I go, I don't know. Uh, what do you think is me? <laughs> I like, it is just get, get my players to name people for me unless I could like come up with something on the spot. If it takes me less than 10 seconds to come up with a name, I go, I don't know, just give me a name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what's I he look like? What's he look like? I've, I've been there. I have a I have a friend Andy that I gamed with quite a bit in the past who loved to ask that question. He loved <laughs> he, like it was just a, a a little joy of his to put the GM on the spot and like be, you know, what's what's that person's name? What 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 do they look like? Give me detail. Like he would <laughs> just be kind of a little oh, jerk God. about it. Um, but it also you know sometimes it it we it got funny and we just kind of brushed it aside and like there were an awful lot of characters named bob or sue mm-hmm. you know just we'd throw generic names on like this is generic npc that you're never going to see again but then at the same time you generate you know you you come up with this npc in the moment and the players for some reason take a liking to them so now you've got to kind of make sure to flush them out like in the moment um or come back to them later uh, you never know what npc is gonna strike a chord with the players well, with, exp- with with exploration for me, I tend to go into it one of two ways is from GMing is either over plan and just have a lot ready to go because you never know where the players are going to go. So like mm-hmm. know your know your city inside and out, you know, know it really well, um, have it developed really well or or just be prepared to improvise and take notes like know the general gist of what you want your city or this particular um glen to be like or this particular mountaintop like what's going on there what's the weird temple about and you know have enough information that you can kind of build from it but then remember to take notes and and, oh yeah make sure that becomes part of the world because uh you know players will potentially remember like six sessions ago when we were in the city we talked to this person and they said Mm -hmm. this thing um, and they had a limp and maybe was that limp because they were in the war and like, they're, they're going to go yeah. all over the place on it. So um, exploration is one of those things that I find time intensive, d- despite the fact that it can just be players just kind of rooting around and looking at stuff. And like you said, you don't need to come up with too much stuff unless they really start asking for it. But I find myself like making a lot of notes and trying to make sure that I, I've got that to fall back on because you're you're building the world in the moment Mm -hmm. that's like actually kind of a good thing to think about is like exploration early on or exploration later on kind of thing so it's like the like setting the the prep uh not like actual session prep but like campaign prep right of like okay like we're gonna kind of gather some information and then you can kind of like jot them down and be like all right this will come back later you know what i mean it's like you're getting your foundations and then exploration later on where it's them like finding answers right because a good way to break it down is like exploration early is like finding questions and then later on is is them like finding answers right yeah that's a really good way to break it down uh i really i i like i love the the setting up questions like that's that's where i love a lot like um i'm a big fan of world building games i'm a big fan of like well just like world building in general so it's like the collaborative element of like okay you know what like what's like a question i i think like when it comes to exploration sessions what i like to focus on more than anything else 
in prep is rumors. So it's like they'll find rumors or rumors will take them someplace else. So it's like, okay, cool. Uh, what are people, and I guess this has to do more with like urban settings. I enjoy, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who enjoys like a city and leaving blanks and kind of having them like run down streets and alleys. And then like, and then that leads them out into the wilderness or that, or like the wilderness led them into a city and they're like trying to find answers from one or the other. But it's like rumors is is my favorite thing. Have them be like, oh yeah, I heard, you know, it could be as mundane as like, I heard there's a sale going on at like the store and they're like, oh, okay. Like, hey, I need new armor there. Let's go like, go to the sale uh, versus like, just like strange murmurings about something going on in the sewer and they're like should we go check out what's going on in the sewer you know <laughs> like sounds strange um people are disappearing hmm. that's weird <laughs> you know it's a good way to like start setting up your plot points for later i think like craig you could avoid you know the stuff like oh let's sit here and talk about this person that i haven't fleshed out or like let's let's sit here and in this one spot and get all the details about this one spot if you set it up as this overall exploration of a city, you're kind of putting a time limit on there. Like you got to get back to your, you know, you got to get back to your hotel before back, before yeah. it's dark. <laughs> there, maybe there's a curfew on this at the city right now, or like maybe you have a meeting with the mayor. Like whatever is happening, mm-hmm. and the other people have stuff to do too. It's a city. I, I don't know. I live in Chicago. People are always running around. Like they don't, they're not sitting in one spot for a while unless they're sitting down and drinking. Like that's what we're doing. <laughs> And like your city can be the same way. You don't have to make the, you don't have to let the players sit there and agonize over a detail if you really want them to kind of get the general gist of a place and then take those notes and develop them later when you have more time to think about it. And you have time, especially if you're letting the players build the city with you, which is kind of what I'm a fan of doing because I don't, I don't like to plan things in super big detail when I run games. Like, sitting down you have the whole picture of the city you kind of know what you're what you like are planning later you know what the players are interested in and then develop those details maybe maybe that guy that they really liked is secretly evil maybe the sewers are home to all of the fae like whatever yeah (laughs) i love that (laughs) uh also i mean the time thing you mentioned is really great too like a simple kind of mechanic you can add into your game if it doesn't already kind of have something like that is just like yeah, we have like you have like five scenes essentially, and then like and like cool. You you know you're not tracking time minutially, but it's like cool. Like you you can spend time at different scene at different like locations. Uh, just like a simple thing where you're like, okay, like we'll all meet back at sundown. And it's like, what does sundown look like? Well, you got about time to check out two things right two three things what do you want to do right and then that also like helps players that that restriction also helps players a lot because then it gives them a direction or it gives them uh, urgency which mm-hmm. will give them a direction right they're like okay well i really wanted to check out this thing but you know does the store close at a certain time right it's like oh yeah it would you then you as a then you don't need to like be setting when does how does the city move it's like you kind of let them or or in that moment you're able to be like okay, yeah, like, okay, the cities will close, so you're going to want to go there first. It's like, okay, cool, so I'll do that, right? And then maybe they'll try and circumvent it and be like, can I just sprint from one location to another? And then, you know, then you get to have a little bit of fun, like, bring in your mechanics a bit more and maybe a uh, a thing that's very socially heavy heavy or uh, or just, like, role-play heavy and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine, like, oh, yeah, let's sprint across the city. That's not going to look suspicious at all. We're going to be the very welcome newcomers here. Just like, running from place to place. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, it also gives you a good uh, excuse to. Oh, I'm a big, big fan of implementing uh, public transit in, like, <laughs> especially if, if you're doing like a fan. We're, you know, if we're talking like fantasy, give your fantasy city public transit. I just think it's very fun. Figure out what that looks like. Uh, it doesn't have to be a subway, or it can be a subway. <laughs> oh my gosh! You're just like waiting for a big carriage that's like. <laughs> that's the equivalent of a bus you know what yeah I mean? everyone gets on the back of this big old worm that weaves its way through the city no one has any control over it <laughs> sometimes he goes underground <laughs> <laughs> it just ran it just you're like you can take you get a, you uh oh take a gosh. shot at the worm uh 
it might save you time. <laughs> we leave food out for the worm at various stations. Sometimes he stops and eats it. <laughs> but sometimes he's delayed. Sometimes he forgets to stop. Sometimes he doesn't I, show up at all. <laughs> I love that so much. I, I take public transportation to work every day. So uh-huh. I'm, on, I'm on the train and the bus for about an, like two hours every day. Oh my God. So, <laughs> and sometimes you encounter some very interesting people on the worm. Oh my God. This is, I love that. Sorry. I'm like now obsessed with this, yeah. with this like worm based. It, it has a mind of its own, but it also kind of, we can kind of control it. <laughs> That's what the CTA feels like here. So. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the, what's the subway called in Chicago again? It's got the like Chicago name. transportation authority, CTA. Uh, yeah, we yeah. call the, like the train system is the L and mm, there are yeah, also yeah. buses. So. Who knows? Who knows what you can do with it? <laughs> I love, I love, I love the idea of public transportation in a city. I've never tried that in a game before, and now I want to. <laughs> I, it's one of my favorite things. It, it also is just like it's a good place again for that, for that, uh, for making again with the idea of exploration. Like transit is very important to that, right? Like what kind of happens between one place and another. So it's like you can either choose not to deal with it, which is fine, right? Be like, okay, you get from one place to another. Nothing interesting happens. Or you can kind of do the hex crawly thing where you roll for an encounter. But public transit gives you kind of like a, yeah, you're like getting on a bus. It's like a middle location, right? Something can happen on the bus. Something can happen on the train. Whether that's just you meet somebody weird, whether that's, I don't know. You yeah. you, <laughs> you see you, know? you see a part of the town that you weren't necessarily planning to go out the to. Win- so yeah, out yeah. the window. Out yeah. the window, you... Uh, um yeah they're like you know you could an, take an, author- an authority figure an authority figure gets on mm-hmm. it's i All love sorts it. of things uh people don't think about i feel like people don't think about public transit no. uh, and I, <laughs> I am in love with it and just the idea of it's like a weird fun little place uh i i also just like you get you just get you get off your feet for a little bit and it's like cool you take it, you like, you, you, you're rested, right? Like, cool. You spent the time, you spent a little bit of money to get on it, but you don't need to be walking all over the place and you get there yeah. a little faster, right? The only transportation I ever like ran in a game, it was for a game of Moonpunk. Like that's the only time I had to think about it. In mm. Moonpunk, all of the cities are in giant domes because it's retro futuristic moon. I do know Moonpunk. And then the people, like my players decided, like we need a play- way to get around. Maybe there are zip lines everywhere in this dome and they were ziplining all over the place <laughs> that was fun but that's not public transportation really that's still individual transportation it's simple <laughs> it's, yes it's, elevated <laughs> sidewalks <laughs> uh what about so that's a lot about urban yeah. types of exploration and i think that there's like we can keep talking there unless you have like some stuff you want to talk about natural forest ocean whatever exploration uh, i take for me it's like that kind of stuff especially like natural exploration i enjoy running like like for me it's like point crawly hex crawly logic right where it's like cool you got to figure out where you're going and it's a lot of uh, tables are my best friend whenever i gm and that's kind of like what it is so it's either i write up my own table i find something interesting in an adventure i'm running uh, a game will give me wonderful kind of random encounters but like for natural exploration it genuinely is just like I think I like to run it in a what's the word I'm looking for like it's let's see how weird things are out here you know it's like you never know what's kind of out there or getting like real survivally with it with like the like we're tracking kind of rations and we're we're kind of getting in there it's 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 the time when I enjoy being kind of survivalist about it uh and you know i talk to my players i go like do you want to do something like this but like even if they don't want to get really nitty-gritty with it it is like going back to that like we're tracking time we're tracking um stuff like hey are you uh like who here can check for traps and who here can check for you know like uh, well i guess like yeah it's like who here is uh who's the naturey person who can check the stars like he it's an excuse to kind of use like things that maybe you weren't thinking of or like putting players in a strange situation uh uh that's 
I, I'm, I'm trying not to say whenever I run like an, an, a wilderness exploration, I get to be mean, <laughs> but I think that's kind of what I'm dancing around is like, it's just, it's like, it's like, I don't know. You want to go into the forest, <laughs> you know, like you want to go into this terrifying jungle. The wilderness is deadly. It's, it's deadly. It's a dangerous place. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I don't know. That's just kind of where I am the most fun. It's not really great advice necessarily, but it is like, I don't know, like, well, it's, it's, it's useful advice to GMs who are looking for a way to kind of counterpoint a group where you've got, if you've got a group that is like, you know, Hey, look at us, we are badass. We can fight and defeat anything. And then you stick them out in the elements and they can't swing a sword to find water. Yeah. You know, they have to use other skills. They have to rely on um, skills that they don't necessarily use a lot. They have to rely on resources that they've accumulated, like give them the chance to accumulate, you know, magic items and cool gear and um, abilities and things that aren't, geared toward what they normally deal with all the time and now they get to you know, they get to shine like somebody has like that pouch of good berries suddenly is really useful very useful <laughs> yeah uh and similarly like i think getting lost is really fun um i'm not going i never went out of my way to get my players to get lost um and i haven't run too much wilderness exploration or it's been a long time since i have i've been i've become like a better gm since i've really done it but like i remember getting lost was really fun uh because i can i can kind of get my players to like see a side of their character that i don't normally get to see where i'm like how does your character react to being lost you know what i mean like who's holding the map and who's yelling at the person who's holding the map and who's like getting tired and you know what i mean like it's like where what is this like you're a party, you're an adventure party, you're spending so much time together. What does it look like when all of you are like at your, at the end of your rope and you don't know where you are? And yeah. I think that's a fun kind of session to also have where you're like, where am I? You know what I mean? If I have to, I swear I saw that tree before. Like that rock looks really familiar, you know? Well, that, that's it's, like a whole scene in Lord of the Rings, you know? That's... <laughs> it is, yeah. Let's, let's, let's be fair, Jess. It's a whole movie in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it gives, it, it, it gives players the chance to role play their characters like in a very different way. Like, you know, the big, the big tough guy might be suddenly like, I am, I, I don't know what to do. I am confused. I am of cold. I am afraid this yeah. is like, if there's a, if there's a, if there's a bear to fight, I'm here for you, but I don't know how to get home. Um, <laughs> where, and then yeah. like the, like the book smart character suddenly is able to like, you know, discern North and figure out like where, where you know, remember their geography lessons mm-hmm. and remember where things are and figure out how to get to what they need to get to. The um, hobbit climbing the tree just to go look and see what he can see. Just to yep. see, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I like to do for for any sort of exploration thing too is use it as an opportunity to um, introduce something that the characters that you know the players aren't necessarily looking for. It's a great place to bring hooks in. Um, mm-hmm. You don't you don't even have to have have a plan for when to bring it in. Just like an opportune moment will present itself. Like and at this point, the pickpocket strikes, or at this point, mm-hmm. you discover the weird artifact. Um, or the obelisk in the forest or, you know, like, and, and that helps you to kick off some stuff and it gives the exploration a point or, or an additional point beyond whatever it was the characters were trying to do in the first place, or just the pure joy of exploration, which is perfectly acceptable as a goal for and for a session as well. Yeah. Just, we're just going to go and enjoy the world for a session and we're going to learn some things about it that's going to inform our decisions down the road. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that as a player. I, I love a good dungeon crawl, for example, where you're not necessarily fighting a bunch of stuff all the time. You're just like, you know, my favorite one, we were in, we discovered secret catacombs beneath a church and we kept going and it kept going and it kept going and there was always like something weird in every one of these rooms we just wanted to keep going through and find the next way through the tunnels would seem were seemingly endless and after a while we did realize we were we were getting ourselves into a little bit of trouble because we had gone so far just looking like oh the stonework is different here i wonder what that means oh why is this giant skull this room why is this room a skull what who is this and there's a lot of fun stuff? stuff. And I, I think if you if you do, if you plan a couple of those, like a couple of those set pieces, like you mentioned at the beginning, Vidya, like just 
a couple bizarre or really cool um, set pieces for the players, even like a little bit of a plot hook here and there for them, mm-hmm. they're going to fill in the blanks. They're going to want to eat it all up. You're going to be a little, little Pac-Man trying to get all the, <laughs> get all the dots. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all in like kind of how you, and you know, like your players are s- smart. They're, they're people are there, your friends where it's <laughs> like, if you go and here's like a big skull with Ruby eyes or something like that. Right. Or it's got like the strange sigil on it. And then they're like, oh, that's strange. Like you specifically described a weird sigil. And then it's like later on, uh-oh, it's like another, it's like, maybe it's like a banner with a similar sigil on it. And you're like, oh, well, what do you know? It's the same thing coming up, right? Like if you're just like, cool. I, as a GM can now hammer home the world building that I really like, right? And in a way that isn't just exposition. Um, I feel like that's something like environmental storytelling is kind of a strange thing in uh in rpgs versus something like a video game right because environmental storytelling in a video game is just like you're in a level and you as a person are able to see everything that the designers kind of put out but like in a role-playing game it's not natural discovery it's very explicit discovery right because the gm kind of has to be like and this is what you see and you're like oh cool (laughs) so that must be important (laughs) you know what i mean or or something uh Uh, instead of just like you know describing everything in the room you as the gm get to have a lot of fun being like here's the thing that i hope that you get you pick up on right and you don't need to be shy about it is i think what i like is i'm i'm not like i hope they understand i'm just all like hey did you did you notice that like (laughs) all of these rooms have you know, like a sun with a sword through it, like, that might mean something, you know? And it's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And then in town, they like meet some people who it's who like have a tattoo of the same thing. And you're like, what? You know, and you're like, cool, there we go. I've like done it. I've done the thing. You, you it up. <laughs> Turns out it's just like really good advertisement for the local tattoo parlor. That's all it is. <laughs> oh. Um, thought I had too was that exploration when we when we think about it we often think about like the physical world but there's a lot to world building that is not just the physical world and you can explore the history of the world the mythology the legends the cosmology the religion the pantheons all that sort of thing via um exploration kind of sessions or or um scenes where um, you can, you know, like help help inform the players on the history of the world by having them seek out um, a scholar, or and I was even, you know, if you want to get all magicy or even, you know, or technological, um, depending on the, the type of game, like they could enter a VR realm that like allows them to be in the middle of this historical moment, or mm-hmm. um, or have it be magic that allows them to see a battle from like on the ground in the battle um and then actually interact and have things be intelligent right and like respond to them and like they can so they can interact and they can learn things because this thing has been programmed to have this information that they can you know uh, uh, ring out of it by talking to these fiction you know these figments that these apparitions that are in this uh you know vr world or or magical thing uh magical construct so like I, I love that sort of thing too, like picking like the, the legends in the mythology of, you know, looking at like just the one that pops to mind for the US is like, you know, Paul Bunyan created the Mississippi right. River by dragging his axe behind him <laughs> because he was a giant person. Um, but you can have legends that are like, you know, well, the legend of the thief that stole a god's voice and what, you know, what that's why mm-hmm. that god is is mute and doesn't speak or why that god um, is, became the god of, um, of, of written language or whatever, you know, whatever thing that it is. And you can put them into the midst of those things and help and help explore that and that and then, you know, eventually use those bits of history or or mythology or religion or whatever and tie that into the story later on to kind of um, give it weight. You don't even have to be super explicit with it. You can describe a mural on the wall and then mm-hmm. they go to the next one, you describe that one, they'll start putting it together. Maybe they'll get the mythology really wrong, but yeah. That's what happens with archaeologists. They get, I watched, they get stuck I watched, all That's true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I watched I watched Midsummer recently, and there's a scene oh, where the cam- yes. where the camera literally just pans across a series of art a, a big a big banner with all this artwork, these like panels. And it goes from right to left, which is disconcerting to begin with uh-huh. um, for an English speaker. 
um, an English reader, but then it depicts like, oh, it's like a pastoral scene. And then it gets really weird and then it gets kind of dark. And then like, you know, you can tell a story about the, the world with just like those scenes. Yeah. Like with, with tapestries and uh, carvings on a, on a door, you know, a stone door frame or all that sort of, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, that's, that's like really cool. I actually hadn't really thought about like history too much, but that feels like really rewarding. And there's also like, especially if like you, your characters, if you have like characters that, you know, care about lineage or care about the history of the world, like you, you can kind of put that in. I know like, it's like, you know, like, oh, change like changing worldview or like being able to like show them like this is either like you know in an urban setting and it's just like learning about different cultures or different kind of places that there are or or like ancient history like you're you're dungeon delving or you're like going into the wilderness and you're seeing stuff from like other civilizations it's like changing their worldview like giving like like you know curveballing what they think they know i think is really cool and really interesting and and you know i'd even they're I feel like I'm flip-flopping a little bit about like, you know, and then tie it into the main campaign or just kind of let it sit there and like let the players think about the, you know, the the implications of kind of the world that they're living in. Uh, Either way is good. Really fun, yeah. Even if you don't tie it into the campaign, it's going to color their perception of the world and it will color the decisions they make. Yeah. Even if it's, uh, you know, subconsciously. I really like what you said, Jess, about like, real archaeologists kind of mess things up like we're always kind of thinking about what the future or like what the past is like and having to reevaluate it either through just new information or through biases mm-hmm. and i think that's like a really cool thing to think about right is like what are the world's biases right like no world is perfect uh and and you get to kind of think about history and hierarchy and kind of you know the the phrase of like you know history is written by the victors and you're like okay well what else is there and then also like you know if we're talking about fantasy stuff there's like often like elves live for a really long time like we have like you know you can have players who are like who've been alive for a really long mm-hmm. time and maybe they remember things differently you know or or they were taught something different because they weren't here for that but or you know what i mean it's like oh huh (laughs) you know and then that can also create interesting conflict it's all about uh uh for me it's kind of the end goal of like trying to get characters to interact in a way that they normally don't get to and that is like the way to do it is like oh yeah like you a noble were told about this differently and then you an elf right who's lived this actually maybe knew somebody from this time where like alive or like or something like that uh how do you react? And it's like, it could just be like, I don't know, I, I need to think about this. Or it's like, huh, like, let's actually sit down and talk about kind of the implications of that. Uh, and then you get to learn new sides of your characters or create new relationships or or something like that. Yeah, I, I love that. Like the, the idea of uh, some noble learned the story of their city in a completely different way, <laughs> different way. <laughs> because they weren't living in it. They were just taught what, what they were meant to know. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, there's so much about that. And even me, like I, like you can even be born and raised in a city and not know all of the little intricate histories, even in a small town. Like I grew up in a small town. I don't know everything about my town. (laughs) I know what it looks like. I know what's there. But if Uh I go back now, there's going to be stuff that's changed and that feels weird. And I don't like it. (laughs) They have a, they have a mire now. What? (laughs) When did they get a mire? (laughs) What happened to the Kroger and the Kmart? Well, oh, my God. <laughs> oh this is hidden. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what What about uh, as game designers? What can we do as game designers to help facilitate this incredible, wonderful world building that our players and our GMs want to do? Um, my immediate answer to that is always, uh, so I really enjoy making world building games and playing them. Like that is, I think the thing that I, like the most and and even in like my gm'd games i will kind of always put in like a session zero of like set the setting together especially even if there's like a a, an established setting it's like here are questions that the players get to answer to kind of color the world a little bit and i think that that's kind of what i really like to do as a game designer is i think the best way to get your table really excited about exploration getting them invested in the setting wanting them to 
learn more is having them establish stuff, right? Even if it's early on, even if it's like history, if it's just some people or something, and then you as the GM or like can bring that up later. Like it doesn't have to come up right away, but it's like, yeah, hey, you established like a, I don't know, like you established like a, a, a diner, right? Or like some people that you knew and they run a diner and it's like, hey, they're in this, like you're in this city, you can go and talk to them. And they're like, well, oh my God, I like came up with these people. You know what I mean? Like that feels really cool. Or we talked about like mythology or history, like questions about that, like getting players to maybe be like, oh, it would be really interesting if like this was a part of history. And then you see a mural that talks about it. And then the player goes, oh, I came up with that. You know what I mean? And that like gets them really juiced up. That, that uh, f- sets the fire under them to be like, I want to learn more. I want to like find I want to find the thing that I established or I want to learn more about the thing that I kind of set the seed of. I think that's why it's so important to leave like some questions unanswered in your game when you're designing them, not just have all of the answers laid out. I think that that allows, allows people more the chance to go through and, and make their own connections and feel like they have the agency to do that. Like you're Mm -hmm. not worried about disrupting the, I don't know, like the history of Eberron or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you you have some wiggle room to play in. Um, I'm not saying that those D&D settings don't leave you with wiggle room because they do. I My favorite D&D books are just the setting guides because there's oh, so, yeah. many, so many little things you can pick and choose from and throw into whatever you want. But like, you know, it's a giving players agency to... Um you know, I mean, like, it's your story. It's the table story, right? Like, you're not telling a tale in the grand canon of, I'll say, Eberron, because you toss that out, like, right? It's it's like, as soon as you sit at the table, it is your story in your Eberron. So it's like giving, letting them know, hey, uh, you know, fuck with it. Can I curse? I'm sorry. Go for it. Sorry, we didn't mention that, but yes. No, okay. Uh uh yeah just like just fuck with it like if you want to change something about the world like let's talk about the implications of that or set something up um you know and then just that little moment of agency will get them a lot more excited about learning about more stuff yeah and giving giving the jam the tools to do that with as well like you mentioned before the the tables you use tables as the gm mm-hmm as the designer, you can provide them with some, so they don't have to go looking for their own or creating their own. Of course they can, but yeah. they don't have to necessarily come up with all that work themselves. I think that's like a huge part of designing a world is just like giving them a lot of kindling and a lot of tools um, and then giving them to them like, okay, now make make something cool, go. Yeah. Um, do either of you know the term? I don't know if this is like a widely known term, but like gameable lore. This, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense, it, but right? I'm not hearing. I've not heard this phrase. That's before. that's fine. I'm not. I, that's why I was like, I don't know if uh, it's just like a an actual term or just something that people I know say. <laughs> but like gameable lore is uh, something I really like because it's like okay, you don't write you it's it's almost like the difference of writing a bunch of your setting down like almost like you know like a history or a textbook or um not even that but you know like just here's the setting read it like this it's like here's your setup and then all of your lore is kind of distributed through bits of mechanics and gameplay so it's like it's in tables right like your lore is in random tables your it's in like items it's in class abilities and stuff like that like so it's like you're kind of putting uh, I'm trying to think of like a good example, but it's like, it's almost like Dark Souls-y, if that also makes sense, right? Where it's like Dark Souls, you're just like, or like any kind of Souls-like game, you're like running around and you don't really, they don't tell you anything, but you'll like pick up a weapon and you read its description and you suddenly have context about where it was from. Um, and that's kind of like, you can do that with role-playing games in, in the sense of like, okay, like you as a GM can introduce elements through the items that you give people through the people that are there through like you know class abilities or or like player abilities that like give context to the world in terms of uh how how do i put this it's it's not you have perhaps you have you know you can your spiritual 
play, uh, character class and you can call upon the the gift of the golden stag yeah. and you don't know what the golden stag is and the history behind it unless you read that ability like yes, it's it, not something that's elsewhere in the book yeah, yeah yeah absolutely that's exactly what it is yeah so it's like cool there's a golden stag and it does this thing you picked that like and then like the player picks that ability and suddenly that's like an integral part of the lore of the game that you're playing because it will show up a bunch and you're like cool okay let's talk about the golden stag what is it who else has the gift of it who else you know like how does it look for them um and so like that alleviates also the gm from having to know a setting right like you're not the encyclopedia of a world it shows up when you play it right um, yeah. just as as a, as a designer do keep in mind that that sort of thing spreads the lore out quite a bit. And with mm -hmm. if you have players, there will, and I, I'm not going to say if you have players, I'm going to say you will have readers <laughs> of your game who will only read parts that are interesting to them. So they will miss out on some of the lore if you don't put it in a lore section, but that's okay. There's, there's, there's a lot of different ways to do it. I mean, I did with good, strong hands. Um, I, I provide very minimal lore um, even to like the the playable folk, the, like the, mm -hmm. the races that you can play. There's just like this, a few sentences for each one. And then the players are encouraged to build that out. Um, and then the setting itself is kind of described overall, like what the, what the world of reverie is like, but then there's two page, the, the, the back of the book is a whole series of two page adventure outlines. And each one gives you the lore that you need for that adventure yeah. right there. Um and then also actually has like a section in there under story elements that says, ask the players. And here's like, here's the, here's the things that you can use to flesh out this thing that don't, that aren't pivotal to the story until mm -hmm. you make them pivotal to the, to the story. So you can ask the players like, who is the monarch? What do you know? Who do you know in the monarch's court? Um, what does the castle look like? What's it made of? What's going on in the city right now? Like, because what you're dealing with in that adventure has nothing to do with what's going on in the city. But if the players come up with an interesting thing that's going on in the city, now you can use that to color the adventure of, of what it is the characters are there to actually deal with. Yeah, I love that. I think that's exactly like a good way to mechanize, like as a designer or, you know, like to, to kind of mechanize or, or give, alleviate, help the entire table get involved. Uh, and it, it was done as a way to communicate the lore and just from a designer standpoint to think of it this way. I mean, I, I made a specific choice to do it this way. It communicates lore about the game and setting and exploration, you know, things that you can find exploring the, the world specifically tied to the adventure so that the, everybody discovers it together. Everybody gets used to it and understands it together. And so you it helps to alleviate a bit of the potential that you see with some games where like Jess, you mentioned, you love setting books, but what if you, you know, sometimes you have a player in the group who like devour setting books and then you have other players who don't, and then they kind of get, potentially get a little resentful that like, you know, this player has all this knowledge and they make all these decisions based on all this knowledge. And I don't have that. And maybe they're okay with it, but sometimes it can be irritating or whatever. Right. So I just, as a designer, I just made the choice for that particular game to present the information in that way so that it's all, presented together because the game is very much, very much about the characters working specifically together and sharing a lot of themselves with each other. So they, mm -hmm. they, they all share the setting as, as they go and they all learn it together. Like that's actually an interesting conundrum that I, I think about sometimes too, where it's like, especially as a GM, I, when I like think about an established setting or something like that, uh, and I run an established setting, I think the thing that scares me the most is always the player that knows it more than me. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like oh, right. So it's like kind of designing in like an ant, like a, like designing your game in a way that is almost anti-canon to itself is like, cool. Like you can read everything, but nothing is set in stone, right? It's like things are here and established, but like, a player can't be like, oh, actually, you're wrong about that. Like, that's not how that works. And you're like, well, you know what I mean? It's like, there isn't that kind of like stopgap of like, oh, I really enjoy this element of it. Uh, and you're playing it wrong. It's more like, I like the interpretation of it and kind of leaving those gaps, leaving it open to just be malleable. And it's a lot of vibes and set pieces and, and kind of moments of history that are important rather than like the minutiae. Yeah, yeah, this is, it's fan fiction. You're, it's, it's fan fiction. Your OCs were not in the original history. Why do you think the world's going to be the same? Come on. Why do you think the world's going to be the same? That's really, it's, it's just fan fiction. That's a great way to think about it. 
my my new podcast I'm doing is about fan fiction. So I'm like a very fan fiction oriented. Oh, lovely. And <laughs> if if you can read some fan fiction and throw away whatever semblance of the world that you're talking about and that gets hundreds of views, you're you're fine. You're fine. You can you can make changes. I, I feel like a lot of that is like the feeling of agency, like the giving of the power to the GM, giving the power to the players to make these decisions without worrying so much about making a quote unquote mistake your it's your world at this point um and maybe even explicitly stating that in your book like whatever's here like this is for you to use as a tool you mm-hmm. you can change it it's cool yeah uh today, today i learned jess's podcast cheating on me i am sorry <laughs> i'm very very yeah. sad you broke my heart <laughs> <Right>? Jess. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it, it has nothing to do with games at all and i, I know i know <laughs> i love that we're reading my immortal which is uh, <gasps> a harry potter i'm doing air quotes scare quotes harry potter <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad and it's amazing oh my it's my favorite um but yeah that's <laughs> has nothing to do with anything that's just me plugging my new, my new <laughs> no uh, yeah i i, I put it we put stuff like that directly into means of magic. Like you do, do what you, do what you want to do. And mm-hmm. in Moonpunk, we just said, okay, there are glass domes and you can't shoot them because that will be bad. Right. You, you kind of like, it's, it's a funny of like set your limits, like set, like be explicit about your hard, or your hard rules in your world. Cause you're like, Hey, you can't, you can't break the domes that will just destroy everything. It's not kind of like what we're going for or not why you want to play this, but you can do other stuff too. Right. It's like, I like those like hard rules, soft rules, right. The hard rules establish kind of like your aesthetic, your vibe, the things that you as the designer really want people to explore. And then your soft rules are like, eh, you know, like mm-hmm. eh, you want to do this. Cool. Mm-hmm. Find an exception. Um, my like, I think my like setting writing advice that I like to give people who are trying out, who are trying to write settings and stuff like that is uh, write your lore and then leave gaps and fill it with rumors or take a hard fact, turn it into a rumor, right? So it's like the, uh, you're like, oh, the like, the king is like, for, for like, you can be like, I really want it to be like in my game right? Like how I would write, how I would run this setting is like the king is actually possessed by like a a thousand year old lich, right? But is it more fun to have that as a fact or is it more fun to have that as a rumor, right? And to me, I'm like, when I write it out for other people to use, I turn it into a rumor because I think that's just so much more fun. And then if people don't like it, it doesn't need to be true, but it's something that people are talking about, right? It colors the world. It's like, you hear yeah. in the bar. Yeah, I heard that the king is like actually possessed. It's like, w- that's clearly somebody's just talking shit. <laughs> but maybe, but like, if you hear the rumor in court, right? Like, mm-hmm. then there's maybe an air of like legitimacy to it, mm-hmm. right? And then and so when like, you meet him for the first time, you're and, thinking about it. Yeah, it's going to be there. You're going to be looking for clues, even if there are none, you're going to be finding there. them. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a, that's an interesting way to build the you know like what what, what we talk about gms writing it in as like well you know you can this is what i've written but you can change it make it your own but you you imply that exact thing by presenting a lot of things as rumors you're saying well here's the thing you can run with it yeah but but i'm presenting it as a rumor so it might not be true so like you can ignore it or you can use it literally as a rumor you can do a lot of different things with it um, I've gotten a little bit obsessed with some of some of my games of like exploring ways of presenting the setting that allow for replayability of the setting, even mm-hmm. amongst the same players and allow the GM to be able to have, you know, kind of imply that freedom to the GM without necessarily having to tell them over and over that you can make this what you want. Like with Nowhereville, which is like a Stephen King small town horror um, game, every NPC I didn't define which of the NPCs are like a monster or which of them have done terrible things. Each of them has a, a, a table, a D6 table, because the game uses D6s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a list of secrets, possible secrets. And some of them are mundane, like this person got away with murder once or they're blackmailing somebody um, or uh, supernatural stuff. Like, well, this person is actually a vampire. And like, so like the GM can can pick or roll or whatever 
or come up with something on their own because I'm making it completely open. And then they can also run the game multiple times, even with the same players and have NPCs inherently all be different. And like this one's in this game, this one's the vampire in that game. That one's the vampire. Mm-hmm. Secrets are great. Secrets are, again, it's it's the the um, malleability, right? The who knows? <laughs> yeah, there's so many more ways to to approach it than just a big setting book. And don't get me wrong, a big setting book or a setting section is a is a wonderful way. There's, oh, there's yeah, a lot rules. of there's a there's a lot of great stuff that can be in there. People, a lot of people love reading those. They love absorbing the world in that way. Many uh, many designers love writing them. It's like their favorite part of designing a game. It's like mechanics suck. I'm a pain. Those are a pain in the ass. Like designing the world is where it's at. But you know, uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of interesting different takes on it too. Like I've I've gone into with Code Warriors, the the setting is dynamic. Like I literally wrote into each of the locales. Like here's things that if the players don't come to town, here's the things that happen over the course of the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, different things. So like, and and the player and the GM, of course, I'm giving them the option of like you don't have to have to go that direction. Here's just a, a progression that could happen. But as soon as the players come to town and a deal with something, they skew that off off the, off the rails a little bit. One yeah. of the things that I was a great part of the old world of darkness, but also kind of its downfall of the old world of darkness was the constant progression of the meta setting. Oh yeah. Um, right. through, through the supplements where they were constantly changing things. Like there's things were happening. Time was passing as new supplements came out. You would learn things about like, well, this vampire got killed or this, this event has taken place because they were always working toward this end game. There was like, you know, Gehenna, the, the end times, um, that was a part of each of the game line lore. And you could, you could potentially do that sort of thing with, with a game too. If you were like, if you want to do like a little supplement every so often, it's like, okay, like I, I presented the setting and then you do like a little few page thing where, where you describe like, okay, here's the things that have changed in the campaign. And you could actually like have a couple, a few little booklets that go with the game and like the, the, the GM could incorporate that and say, okay, well that obelisk that was magical and in, in the forest and nobody knew what it did. Well now, and then now it's broken and all the dark fae have escaped and they're doing wacky stuff in the forest and like there's a lot of interesting things you could do. Like you could, you I could love have a meta. Really like that. Dark Fae are just doing wacky stuff. They're doing well, wacky I don't want things. To, I don't want to. Right, I right. don't want to assume anything because, frankly, I don't want the Dark Fae showing up at my door. Um, but yeah, like you, they're just I, having I'm, fun. I'm, in, I'm intrigued yeah. by. I'm intrigued by like that's something I've had in my head for a while of like doing a game where that's the thing where my I would do supplements, but they would literally just be like little progressions mm-hmm. of the world. Um, so uh, you could you could play it like before the war, during the war, or after the war. Yeah, you know that sort of thing. It's it's kind of like the joy of running a Star Wars campaign, mm. honestly, right? Mm. Where it's like, okay, what era are we running, or what what era are we playing in? And then like you have a canon, right? But there's like enough time between kind of each era that you can really play out your own story in it. And even like, and then even that like transition period between the eras are really fun to play in, right? Like, and you can really tell your own story in it. Like, there's like a lot of like, cool, like, do we want to stick with kind of how it goes? Or do we want to like, see if we can change the stories or, and I think that's like, that's a fun thing where you can be like, okay, if we're playing in like, you know, the original trilogy setting, this timeline, then technically everything that happened is canon we already know that but then if we play in the kind of the republic era then maybe we change some stuff around or you know it's there's like a fun kind of looseness with how intense the lore of the world is you know it's maybe even like antithetical it's like yeah i want to change everything you know it's like we're gonna we're gonna really fuck with star wars um even though literally everything is uh is defined <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, again, it's the fan fiction idea. It's the fan fiction idea. 100%. We all we all want to play in the Star Wars world. I think all of us deep down want to in some level be a Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Or a Han Solo type smuggler. Um, yes, please. Yes, exactly. It's you know, it's, it's just yes, the, please, more it's of that. The human wide dream. Everyone knows. Everybody um, wants to be a star. But that means you have to make your OC because you can't just. Well, I guess you could. I, if you, but you if could. you play Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker becomes your OC. If you he play, does. you play Padme, but she didn't die this time. Oh, okay. Hold on. That's pretty fun. I'm gonna write that. Down. Yeah, <laughs> I like that a lot. 
Uh, well, do you- my dog has come to join me. Hello, brother. Um, do you have uh, any any final thoughts on this this subject of exploration in games? Oh, final thoughts. I it it really is. I, I think like the, the my my best the thing that I can really say about this is 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 play world building games like play kind of GMless games because I think they do exploration really well and like and the and the setting building and stuff like that. So like even if you're playing a D, right? Um like pick up uh start your part of your session zero or even midway through like before you enter a new city or something like play a game of i'm sorry did you say street magic uh you know like something like that where like you get to like build up a world and and what that kind of does is is it you know establishes some stuff or or you'll learn about it just i don't know like world building will teach you to kind of be a better collaborative table of like yeah like let's get into it right like i want to learn more about this place or i want to jump into this area both as a gm and players wanting to do that and you having something you as a gm having something to work with and then also as a designer if you kind of explore these then you can just add these into your games you can add these elements into your games that um are part of the like framework of play right it's a part of like the leaving gaps to have fun and and let your players, you know, feel them and and you feel less beholden to being this like, you know, like I have to write everything down or I can't leave anything un unsaid. Uh or the other side where you're like, did I put enough? Like, oh, like <laughs> I think I think like a, a a small little thing I'll put at the end there too is like if you're worried that you have to write a bunch of lore, write a bunch of questions right Mm -hmm. is is i think like the best thing so it's like write questions that you want people to work in uh a part of your game and then they'll do it for you right like they'll write the setting for you well this has been a very fun conversation there's a lot more to explore if you will (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you um and i think that there's so much that we could talk about uh but Let's talk about where we can find you on the internet and where we can find your games. Oh yeah, uh, so um, you can find me online basically everywhere at uh, Vidatiavoletti. That's just my name, um, and you can find my games uh, at vidatiavoletti.itch.io. Um, I have a bunch of games out there. Uh, I like I said, I, I like to make world building games. I'm also more of a GMless designer because that's how I run games, so I just kind of make them that way. Um, so if you're looking for something like that. Um, you can totally check out my games. Uh, I'm also a uh, mechanics designer on Confluence, which is by Publishing Goblin, which uh, a big thing that we're trying to do as like a system is figure out how to make exploration and wanting to get involved in the world a big thing. So keep an eye out for that because uh, this is very in line with kind of a, a, a game that I'm working on. Uh, and I think that's that's mostly about what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. My, oh, my dog is bu- bumping me. He's oh. bumping me with his butt, and it's making it hard to. Oh. I'm trying to push him away. Um, <laughs> you can find me on the internet right now at, at Joska on Tumblr or on Twitter, uh, and you can find me on TikTok at Jess is awful. I have literally one TikTok, but it is about the CTA holiday train. I would recommend putting, now that we've talked about adding public transportation to your game, put a holiday train into your game. It was a magical moment. It was the most fun I ever had in my life. Um, And it really kickstarted my December. I saw Santa Claus. It was wonderful. Uh, And if you really like hearing my voice, you can find my new podcast, Food Court Book Club, where I am inflicting the fan fiction, My Immortal, on two people who have never heard the story before. And we are talking about it and discussing it in real time, as if they were reading this fan fiction for the first time, which they are. But I mean in 2006. Mm -hmm. And you can find my games at wannabegames.com or on RPG or itch. I'm at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter and everything's at the at DriveThruRPG. Um, you can also go to nerdburgergames.com. The Code Warriors dice are here. The books will be here in a week. Like we're gonna get this thing out there and there's gonna be all sorts of cool new stuff to check out there um end of the year or very, very early next year. So there you go. 
and thank you again, Vidithia, for for joining us. Um, we hope that you will return, maybe, perhaps. Absolutely. This, thank you so much for having me. This is always a blast. I love chatting with other designers, and I learned a lot. So this is very nice. Yeah, I, I that's why I love doing this podcast. I love talking to people about this stuff and being like, oh, but I want to talk more. Let's do more. Yeah. Um, thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avil by Steph Sachs, released under a Creative Commons 2.5 CC by SA license, share alike license. And thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.